Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and today I am speaking with the curator of the Reginald F. Lewis Museum, Carol Rose Dyson. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. I'm loving it. This is great. This is a treat. This is going to fit very well into the theme for this month. We're keying in on black artists, black business owners. This is going to be in that February offering. So I am All looking right, very forward to getting getting some getting some answers, right. getting some questions, some dialogue. Good. Very good. So I want to start off with uh, those who are undipped, uninitiated. Um, give us those vital stats. And how did you know that art was going to be a career for you? Working within art was going to be a career for you. That is uh, um I have to really rewind because I have to go back to, um, um, oh, goodness. I decided I worked for architects and engineers. I, well, oh, boy, my, my trajectory was nothing that I expected. OK, nothing. Um, and that um, I went I work for architects and engineers. I've said, oh, for the rest of my life, I, I want to be an architect. I want to do design. And then I realized I didn't really draw very well, but I was encouraged to go to the Art Institute and I designed this house. And the, the uh, director of admissions said, oh, you have this great design eye. And so, but not a lot of art courses. I had not taken a lot of art classes. So when I got into the first Art Institute design, classes. I mean, these are all young people that had been artists since birth. And here I have, and I'm just getting there. And um, they, uh, I was having to do all these for, for foundations. We had to do sculpture and painting and drawing. And I'm feeling a lot out of my league, but at the same time, still trying to accept and learn and see. And um, looking around one day in, a, in the class, I was told by my professor yeah. oh well you do artwork like matisse and moreau you should go into researching them and finding out who they are and what their work is and try to capture that spirit and i turned to the, the gentleman and i said look you know who are uh, black artists and what are they doing that's what i wanted to emulate yeah. you know i looked around in my city kansas city there were four or five black artists and the the my ex-husband then was I, I was an excellent artist and had come out of the Kansas City Art Institute, but there were very few visible. Hank Smith, I think, was one of, um, an artist in Kansas City, so there were a few black artists around. But I wanted to know who were the, the who was really other than Gordon Parks, because you know Fort Scott, Kansas, is a little bit down the road, so we all knew Gordon Parks. But who were other ones? And you know, if I'm doing this historical research and the Art Institute, we had to. Read and uh, Toni Morrison. We had to read uh, a lot of, of literature that was postmodern, but you know, not very little other than yeah. Toni Morrison reflected a diverse experience. Sure. So um, that was then um, um, when he asked me, when I asked who were artists and what are they doing, then that kind of set me on my journey. 
How did I know that art was going to be my life? Well, I decided at that point uh, with that husband that we were going to open up a gallery and which we did in Kansas City. It was called the Euphrates Gallery. And we exhibited artwork by people of color, trying to bring a diverse vision of art uh, to that community because it wasn't at that time. It's much better now. And um, that really, everything just kind of blossomed out of that. Um, I did find at the Art Institute, I excelled in art history. Yeah. At the same time, I got a little sick of Greek. Uh, oh, no, excuse me. I felt that there was more in the art history books. You know, we kind of jumped over Africa. We went into the Greek and into the Roman art. Yeah. But, you know, Africa was just... It, you know, jumped over. Yeah. And so I wanted to have a, again in my experience, I wanted to have a broader experience because I knew that there was more right. to the world instead of just black and white. And there was a black experience and I wanted to find that and experience that. So that set me on my course, the ex opening up the galleries. I then knew that was my career. Yeah. And um, I just have continued. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh, kind of long, great. huh? No, no, no. It's it's <laughs> great. It's great, and it's 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 one of those things where you you have someone that just kind of sparks that that nugget of interest. It's like, oh no, you do like this. It's like, no, no, no. Who are other people that I might look like that I might have similar experiences? And right, right. That's now, please. I will also share with you that. Then, and I kept that in the back of my mind, who are black artists, I did research, but it was Gordon Parks, let's go back to Gordon Parks, yeah. who came to the Art Institute and gave the graduation speech. And when he gave the graduation speech and he walked on the yard, yeah. I just buttonholed him. And that was when I said, who are, how can I find out more about black artists and where they are and who they're, what they're doing? And he gave me a list from... <laughs> um, the folk, uh, young ladies seen and uh, um, from the, the Studio Museum of Harlem, yes, uh, from uh, uh, and, and I'm sorry, I, I'm not the names aren't coming up right now, but these were individuals that were very prominent in African American art history and culture. Mm -hmm. I wrote to them. They started sending me books uh, to read information. I just I just inhaled that because I wanted to know more about Black art and Black and who they who they were you have to do that that deep dive and again it's it's, it's, one a, of those deep dive. it's, it's a deep dive it's one of those things and um <clears throat> you know it it's it's odd like when i travel which has kind of gone away <laughs> for, for for right now but when i travel generally what i try to do is get a temperature on what's in the museum right what's in the local museum what's close around there because i think traveling part of it is for me Absorb some art, get some culture, get some culture. Absolutely. Damn it. And I like to also get a temperature on what's not in the museum, what's what's there from a creative standpoint, what's the creative district and what all of that looks like. And more often than not, maybe it's because of the cities that I go to is very black. <laughs> it's, it's what I'm looking for. It's very like, black. Well, well, at that time, Kansas City 
there was a black side. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there's there's a lot of change. Um, most recently, there are African-American artists. The, the, the big gallery is Nelson Atkins. And um, they, there are African-American artists that are local, the local black artists there that have exhibited in, at the Nelson Atkins. And that's a first. Um, I remember 20, 25 years ago, there was a meeting at the Nelson Atkins asking what is it that they can do in order to support African-American art? I said, buy some and put it in your collection. And that was 25 years ago. And they just kind of. It's exactly what they did. Like what? <laughs> it, 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 it sometimes it's, it's, it's literally as simple as that. Like the it's low hanging fruit there to support these things. And you know, support, support these initiatives, support these artists, support that that culture. And it gets missed because it's like, oh, it's more complicated than that. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. But I think that since that time, I, you know, I know that the Nelson Atkins has more. Listen, there's more pieces. I know that they they are now exhibiting work by the local black artists, which I think is wonderful. And then they have the Kemper Museum, which has done some big exhibitions in terms of contemporary art. So um, um it continues to grow. And, and some really fabulous black artists have come out of the Kansas City Art Institute. There's a gentleman, I think, that's in New York right now. He came out of the Kansas City, two of them, two. Yeah. See, and it's unfortunate I'm not able to give these names, but I just, he's in a, a, an exhibition I'm working with uh, at the museum, Men of Change. And uh, I read where he came out of the Kansas City Art Institute. And I was so happy to see <laughs> that. Yeah. Um. So let's, let's go back to the Genesis a little bit, just for 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 those that aren't aren't quite getting it um from from your i guess your standpoint and being a curator now how would you answer that that question around who are the black artists and and what are they doing like right now like what kind of work are, is coming out of like this crop that's that's out, out there right now that's getting that attention that you're seeing their names pop up regularly I think that what do we sometimes we're the dream of our ancestors. And I think the artists that are the black artists that are working now are the dream of the black artists, especially they came out of the 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s. I think that uh, while there was a maybe a clash about black aesthetics and it, this is the way black artists got to be. There was a clash early on. But, yeah, you know, mainstream. There are so many African-American artists that are doing mainstream work. I look at Derek Adams, Jarrell Gibbs, um, so Jeffrey Kent, Amy Sherrill. I mean, this is a, and, and uh, these are all people with the Baltimore ties. Yes. And that's just a, Imani Lewis, uh, 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 <clears throat> Brown. Um, I, I, I mean, there's just uh, a Latoya Hobbs. I, I have a, a, a copy of one of her pieces here that I have on my wall. Yeah. It's a print. You know, a Xerox print. OK. <laughs> and uh, and and those it is it, 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 <clears throat> it. There are just. There's so much. And then you have the African, the African connection of African artists that are also very, very big that are here in the United States. So it is um, it's an explosion. It's exciting. It's difficult to keep up with, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. But 
Uh, I think that uh, I, I was so glad to watch Jarrell um, in his conversation with Maya Rockymore Cummings and uh, the director of what is the name of the director of the BMA? He's, they're going to kill me that I don't know his name. What is his name? Yes. And the conversation <laughs> yeah, that, that they had for Bradford yeah, yeah Mark Bradford. No, no. That's his, that's the artist, Mark Bradford. But it was such a wonderful conversation between um, the director of the, of the BMA um, um, and um, Cummings's widow and Jarrell um, and, and the, the discussion about black art and just so much Ernest Shaw. I mean, there's just so much in, in uh, Baltimore and in DC and in New York and and Los Angeles is I say an explosion. So from, from your vantage point as a, as a curator who, who works to, who works, whose work aims to support amplify voices of creatives of color, who've not who've been made invisible by American culture, where do you see the future of curatorial representation of the like artists of color going? Where where do you see that like moving? Is it a continuation of that explosion? Is it a shift to maybe <clears throat> amplify other voices? What what are your thoughts around that? Well, you know, the thing is, is that when, when I went into the curatorial practice, which they talked about the, the opportunities in the museum, but there's also opportunities outside of the museum. And that's the thing is, is that, yes, there's a, a few of us that are that get into the museum and s- some are able to stay longer. Uh, but I think that the uh, being able to amplify these voices, you have to do it at various locations. There's alternative spaces yeah. such as bus boys and poets, such as the, uh, the uh, just different spaces where they can promote or show artists of color that are are emerging you know you have to be creative um and not just stay within the um white walls the four walls of the museum because the art is changing and transforming and you know that that that's what i think the curator has to really begin to not only focus on working or working in a museum, but how to promote, you know, are you going to do it online, create these voices? I was looking at uh, Victoria Valentine's um, culture type uh, newsletter and all the information that is available there in terms of African-American art. And uh, that's what I, I think about is, is the spaces, especially um, online or spaces where we can, uh, organize and showcase African-American artistic talent. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I, I've, I've like not having any experience in that area, but also being a person that is in this kind of arts advocate, outsider artist, like state standpoint, I'm like, where there's a wall, where there's a space. And if, right, right. That's what, you know, exactly. Yeah. Cause it's like, exactly. like, don't, don't be such that if, especially in an emerging kind of place, don't be such that I can't put this in a coffee shop. I can't put this here. I can't put it's like, no, you can. Right. You can. And I think that, and then I, you know, 
from my experience, the uh, individuals, there are so many people that go into these coffee shops Mm -hmm. or restaurants. Sometimes these restaurants have a million or two or three million people that come through there. So you got a million or two. uh, Seriously, I ain't lying. And there are a million or two or three million people that have seen your work and know your name. Mm -hmm. I had one artist who uh, I exhibited at the Anacostia Busboys and Poets. And he and I talked a month ago and he was doing something at University of Baltimore. And they said, hey, man, we saw your artwork at at, uh, Busboys. And I said, yeah. You know, I've had a number of artists come back to me and say, Carol, you know, I really have a lot of people that have seen my art at Bus." I'm like, yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that go to busboys and are are taken aback. You know, they may not be able to buy it or um, <laughs> off the walls, but they remember your name. It's it's one of those things uh, that I, I hear a lot. It's meeting people where they're at and meeting people where they'll be. So, right where I record this podcast um, on Fridays. It's a comedy club that's right there in the arts, one of the arts districts in Baltimore. There are more than one. Um, and whenever someone comes there, that's a visual artist. I connect them with the, the executive director because they got a bunch of bare walls. And oh, that's, okay. that's me yeah. trying to do my piece of like, hey, man, put some of his art up there. Maybe you right. have a conversation. Right. And right. Because, and that's important. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about now. This is this one is interesting. Tell me about your thesis exhibition, um, Creative Alchemy, um, the common source of art and science. How did you how do you come up with ideas for exhibitions? That that's the point. Uh, they are um, um, some of them. Are, I'm, I'm gonna jump off on a spiritual tip. Sometimes they come in a dream. Sometimes they um, they the 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 words and titles will come to me in conversations with people. Yeah. Uh, it's not. It's it's not simple. It's not simple. Um, and, but they their their questions. And what occurred was that I had been offered. Uh, um, I had done an exhibition at for the Department of Art at Howard University, and the the dean of the the graduate school, Dr. Gary Harris. You know, I remember that name. Gary Harris was introduced to me, and he said, "Oh, you know, Miss Carol, we need all. We got four floors of wall space, so we need work down here." And the art department was uh, Howard was not going to use utilize that space. They could not. Uh, they could not put the, their collection in the. Um, uh, in, the, in the interdisciplinary research building. So if you see it, it's these four stories. It's huge. And it was just uh, um, fascinating. And, uh, um, and I had to think about what would I put on these walls. And I um, have a love for George Washington Carver. And I started doing research. Uh, well, I had I was in an exhibition um, at Howard University um, where to conserve a legacy, mm-hmm. where I le- where we uh, these HBCUs were paired to learn how to do art conservation. Um, I learned about art conservation. It was not a choice to go into it because their need you had to have two or three years of chemistry, and I was about to graduate with a you know, and, and I wasn't going to mess with chemistry, but the uh, I still saw this fabulous work that was done by George Washington Carver and found out he first was an artist. So knowing one, he was an artist. 
too, knowing this deep spiritual mysticism that yeah. he worked out of. And three, that he was a great scientist. You know, spirit spoke to him about these plants. Spirit spoke to him about so much. Yeah. So I said, hmm, let me think about doing something that's uh, creative. Alchemy is more about spiritual yeah. Spirit, art, and science. It's really a three connections. And so that's what I did is I started looking at artwork. Who were artists that I know that could connect on work with each floor of the interdisciplinary research building at Howard. So I felt that the introduction was a homage to George Washington Carver, which I did. And then Anne Bowie created this wonderful homage with the objects that were in a circle. And plants. I had to have plants because that's what that was his life. So the biology department of Howard loaned me plants that I had to water every two or three days living in Baltimore at that time that I would run down and, you know, and I would do what I had to do. So uh, so that was the first floor, the introduction of understanding that art and science and spirituality can be interconnected, that there was this division, I think, uh, 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 in Germany, when we started thinking about, um, 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 uh, well, started thinking, and that's when a lot of things changed because these theories of, uh, well, of life and change, or may things cause things to change. I'm sorry. Thank you. And um, <clears throat> so that's what uh, the divisions and, and in Christianity, there was a lot of division in term uh, uh, with um, back in the day. I'm sorry. Um, so the Constantinople, I think um, when uh, so but let me not even go there. The point is, is that there the, it, in, in an African origination, there was more of a unifying spirit, art and science. OK, that makes sense. And so I, and part of that was what I was trying to bring back. So quickly we went on this, the second floor was nanotechnology, very small. So uh, we had uh, some um, contemporary art that was on the second floor. Third floor was about biology. They did a lot of research on biology and black people's genes and black people, uh, what, what uh, uh, could be done or to help you know, can modify health issues. And so I created, uh, I, I got uh, uh, Renee Stout. Mm-hmm. She created, she brought, we showed pieces of hers that showed about transformation, you know, bodily transformation, mind transformation. And then, um, uh, then also on the third floor, E.J. Montgomery did these had these little drawings that looked like the beginning, beginning of language, yeah. which, you know, in terms of development of hu- humankind, yeah. the um, so that was the third floor of biology. The fourth floor was environmental science. And that's where we had Angelina Sumadre, who created a piece that was like a desk. But you couldn't tell whether it was a science desk or whether it was an artistic desk, because there were so many of these different kind of objects of somebody that was getting ready to create natural things. And then we had uh, Rosalind Cambridge who did uh, these environmental pieces that were put on the wall. So uh, it was, um, it was marvelous. I enjoyed it. It was marvelous. It was a lot of stress uh, again, as it being a a thesis, but it was, um, I think again, sort of trying to bring those 
those uh, conversations about, you know, instead of division, you know, there's a lot to be, con- there's a lot of connection to. Right. It sounds like a huge undertaking. So I understand the stress component. That was, what is, but it was the grand design. It was the, grand, the grand design. design. So yes. now I'm going to shift it to something that's a little more current. Um, the Robert Houston tell our story. What are some of the things that surprised you about that exhibit that you kind of learned in, in doing the research and, and putting things together for that exhibit? I, I, in terms of surprise, mm, uh, I think that, um, no, no, let me say the gift, say the gift, uh, the gift in doing the Robert Houston exhibition that included works by, uh, Joe Giordano, Devin Allen, and Dee Dwyer was, first of all, uh, the research and understanding his his influences by Gordon Parks. Gordon Parks again. <laughs> and that um, the uh, and Gordon Parks's influences uh, by Ralph Ellison, uh, the photograph as a document as well as a symbol. Mm-hmm. So that helped me to then begin to look at Robert Houston's work a little, you know, uh, uh, deeper. Uh, the whole idea for me is of the black gaze beginning to give power and value. Uh, these photographers, what is it, the choice of weapons that were giving value to uh, our culture and, and encouraging others to see the value, but also the challenges that we had. So the gift was that I learned about Robert Houston and the other artists, Joe Giordano, Dee Dwyer, and Devin Allen, and their power in terms of recording images and their power, especially Devin, that not only told the story, but put you right there in the center, front and center. You saw the image, but at the same time, you could hear the the chants in the background. You could hear the noises in the back. But I mean, there was no noise. It was just yeah. a photograph, you know. But it it was three dimension. It was it was three D. You know, you could yeah. hear, and it was you were in you were caught into it, which I think was important about about Devon's D's work. I think hers is very powerful in terms of capturing again um uh this the black gaze and centering it in her southeast i gotta say it southeast <laughs> southeast dc community and the important figures uh that are there from the the rapper to another gentleman with his dog smoking a black and mild and you know the atvs and the you know uh, the uh, young lady with the beads in her hair, this again kind of grounds one in understanding blackness, what blackness is yeah. uh, for her or for uh, that community. And then there, her, her other photographs told the story of social justice, the Black Lives Matter. She captured beautifully Black Lives Matter images. And there was a photograph at the end that I loved. You know, my blackness is not a threat. And uh, um, it was her photograph, um, uh, an image of her of herself. So yes, in Joe's wide angles, wide composition, it was um, 
again, an introduction or reintroduction to Baltimore, you know, having gone to Micah, having lived in Baltimore and and then working in, in the DMV, you know, zipping back and forth, but always seeing this um, rich culture, this uh, this risk, you know, being open to risk, being open to new things uh, that I found uh, the support of new and interesting things here in Baltimore. I found it really rich. Yeah, that's, I have two of the three, by the way. And the only person I haven't gotten yet is D. I've, I've had Joe on. Um, your this interview is going to be after Devin Allen's, uh, so that's that's coming up as well. Uh, so oh, that's great. I, I'm working on the trifecta, so you know that's good. Good detour, yes. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a bundle. It's like a three part. Okay, wonderful. Um, so I have two more questions before I get into those those dangerous rapid fire questions. They're so okay. people are so scared of those rapid fire questions. Uh, okay, it's pretty funny to me. Um, in, in recent years, there's been a shift to hide or suppress works that have been considered to be. I think in poor taste, right? Um, Should that be done with historical material that depicts African-Americans, black folk and maybe blackface caricature or racist stereotypes? Because we like to act like it didn't exist. But as soon as someone calls it out. So what are your your thoughts on that and balancing? This is what you guys considered to be artistic at one point. But now we suddenly don't want that out there. Well, I think it's always done. It's about context, mm-hmm. how it's presented. I think that um, I had a, um, at, at a couple of years ago at Busboys and Poets, I put a, a rope, you know, the noose. Mm-hmm. I exhibited a noose and a Confederate flag. But the uh, context of that was the woman in, in Richmond, Virginia, that was killed, that was hung by the noose. And the story, it, it, the images that were done told her story. So it was a context mm-hmm. of all oh, these. Yes, a Confederate flag. We don't want to put it up. And of course, a noose is highly um, controversial. But again, the context and plus, you know, at busboys, you can kind of do some of those risky things and and that. Um, um, and not, you know, it, it's supposed to push you a little bit to think a little bit more about um, justice and truth, yeah. you know. So, and and I think about uh, um, other figures of RV, RV Smith, I believe he does a number of photographs that again are of caricature somewhat of of. African-Americans, a big smile mm-hmm. and in the wide white teeth and the big eyes. But again, they're the context. Of, yeah. Oh, yes. And uh, Walker, uh, um, Carol Walker, mm-hmm. I think in terms of her work, um, the um, some of that is very, very, very difficult. Kara K.R.A. Walker. Mm-hmm. Those images, especially of the uh, slave era and the massa and mm-hmm. are often sexualized. And those and I think that was part of the controversy of Carol Walker. But again, I think that her the intention of her work was to bring about the injustice or understanding the injustice uh having a deeper understanding of what uh deeper understanding of the meaning Uh, so 
Kara has done other work since then. And, uh, and she's a very prominent figure in contemporary American art. Sure. Um, but I'm more favor of people like Jarrell Gibbs. I'm more favor of people like Der- Derek Adams, because while the angst that uh, Carol Walker gives, it is not the feeling I want to walk away from, you know, art, Yes, it can be that angst or that message, sure. but I want that message still to give me some sort of uplift. You know, to me, the art is is taking that moment to think about and then to then regurgitate, mm-hmm. you know, um, that representation. I look at it and think, is that part of my life? And then how am I going to reg- regurgitate? What am I going to do about it? Yeah. And as, as I say, when I see the work, I uh, you know the the angst kind of pieces, I have to really then think about, well, what am I going to do about this? Because this doesn't leave me with a sense of well-being. Sure. So, but it's all right. Not every piece has to leave me with a sense of well-being, but, and if it's really done beautifully and executed well, I can appreciate that. Yeah. But my preference is something else. That's, that's legit. Like, you know, I've, I've interviewed some folks and, I'm very, I think as a person that tries to use his memory, I, when, when people, oh yeah, I can't believe this. Like, yeah, this was three years ago, you know, when something that was considered racial or racist that was done. I think Mm -hmm. the key thing that, that you said there within that, 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 that piece was the, the, the context, like, you know, we, we don't really look at context or nuance or anything. We look at interpretations of things in a very black and white way. Right. And I, the thing that I get caught on is whoever had the, the power to kind of put some of these things to the forefront, whether it be in mm-hmm. popular media or in fine art, it's like, you guys chose this mm-hmm. because you didn't have black people in the room to say, you know what? I ain't right. Or, mm-hmm. you know, so you need to sit in it a little bit. We, mm-hmm. we, we need to be reminded of, reminded of how, how crappy you were, you know, mm-hmm. as far as what you were choosing, but add that context to say, this was in this time and things and ideas we've, we've learned and we've grown, but to wipe it right. away, like it didn't exist. Yeah. That's, right. That's no, right. I agree with you. No, wipe it away. So last question I have, uh, this is this is quasi rhetorical. I think I know the answer, but I'm still oh, going to no, ask this, it. This is the last question, and then the r- rapid fire ones. Yes. Okay. Good. All right. All right. Um, is a black curator just a curator? Why or why not? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't find that black is. Um, the focus black is the um what i mean by that my focus is not what the reginald f lewis museum sure. my focus is african-american art but i am at, and i'm also a black curator a person of color that brings uh the uh history uh, of 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 my people and and uh, and I use that history, that important uh, of trying to raise and uplift, raise voices of individuals that are not just people of color. When I was working in or organizing exhibitions at Bus Boys, I was working with all people. It was a diverse group. So I am a black curator, but I'm interested in diverse voices, raising and uplifting diverse voices. Um, I don't see, um, 
I remember somebody said the uh, black art and you want to identify you as a black art artist because that only limits you. Oh, hell no. Black curator does not limit me in any way, shape or form. That just tells you that I am proud of being a black person. I am proud of having the black art history, the art history background that I had, that uh, I've worked with African-American artists um, and, and knowledgeable about African-American art, but at the same time, you know, I have seen or I'm aware of other art, you know, the diverse voices that are in art. And um, for me, it is in no way a limitation. It is a grounded groundedness in a sensibility of the world, of understanding oppression, of understanding a lack of vision and a lack of voice. So therefore, when I move and choose, I'm looking for freedom. I'm looking for expressions of 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 connection. See, you getting me started. (laughs) I was was about to say, talk that talk. Here we go. (laughs) I do. I was doing when I asked that question too. So, so yeah, so um, it, 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 I'm, I'm happy to be a black artist, a black, a black curator, you know, and I, I love being able to give voice yeah. to those voices or to those artists who don't have the opportunity or, or need the opportunity to be able to express their vision of the world. Well, thank you. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think that's a good spot where we can get to these rapid fire questions. Um, so, all right. So these rapid fire questions, they're pretty much, it's almost a continuation of what you just did. Like, look, I said what I said. <laughs> it's always a continuation of that. So I got four of them for you. Okay. Um, what is the most surprising fact about the Reginald F. Lewis Museum? It's just something that people just wouldn't know. Like, you know, um, I went to Morgan and um, one of my classes, we were sponsored by the museum. We were sponsored by the Reginald F. Lewis Museum. So I always had like a, you know, some knowledge of the museum, but not a lot. So, you know, feel free to enlighten. I think uh, one of the things, the important fact is the, the importance of the collection mm-hmm. and how the collection of 11,000 objects uh, that we have that are. Uh, Actually, I, I'm really, really beginning to get into because of the idea of material culture yeah. and how the material culture really helps to give identity and substance to a culture. And that all the different things that we have from 1800s to the um, and, and, and how black people continue to strive. I remember when I took my first, I went to Howard uh, uh, and as art, I think I may have mentioned that. And I took an African-American history class. And one of the first things that the the professor said, um, you know, when we really look around and understand if we take away the images that are, that are in the dominant culture and we recognize the, the reality Black people have strived or have always striven to do better. Your parents try to do better. Your cousin's parents try to do better. And that uh, in these collections, we look and I see how, you know, not you you didn't have to go to get a Ph.D. You know, we had people that were barbers, Mm -hmm. you know, and 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 the things that they did in order to be a substance and to create um, a world and a life for themselves and their community, uh, the military people that the things that we have of a military collection. Um, I'm, I'm just finding all those things fascinating and photographs.
crafts. Um, there's, there's just, um, to me, there's just so much in terms of really grounding books, yeah. books that have been donated, grounding the culture in, um, you know, and, and I'm going to throw this in here. I'm sorry no. that the, uh, I was doing research for an exhibition on slavery and I was research and I watched a video or a conversation with a, a historian by the name of Vincent Brown. I believe he is at, he's at Harvard or Yale. I'm sorry. But all this was to say he had written, he's written some books on slavery. And one of the things that he said was that slavery is not an onus on people of color on, on us. He said, when you, it is really on the society, the dominant society, because when you look at black people and you look at the genius, I'm sorry, the genius of black people, how we survived, how we ran away, how we resisted, how we had the Underground Railroad, how we did this and how we did that. It shows the genius of our people. Yeah. And so and I, when I look at the collection it, again, it, and it's not an exceptionality black. It's not an ex, we're not. There's not an exceptional black man or an exception. The genius that we had, even even in terms of trying to make sure our children had books, although and we uh, and we were working, cleaning somebody's house or earning their clothes. The genius that we as a people yeah. had and continue to have and how these this collection, you know, documents that. Thank you. That's that's great. Now I need to go to the museum now. Thank you. Thank you for that. I just need to drop what I'm doing. This podcast is over. I'm going to hit down. <laughs> well, you, you have to wait till we get our exhibitions more will be up um, uh, next. Well, in the end of this month, February, we have the Men of Change exhibition coming from the Smithsonian sites, which is really wonderful and fabulous and a lot of uh, programming involved with that. So I have I have three more and these are going to be really quickly. Uh, oh, I'm fine. No, 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 no. Um, so what is your favorite film? Told you I was going to get you with this one. Yes, yes. And, and, and I think I mentioned to you that it is the um, Tom Hanks um, um, film on uh, Mr. Rogers. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yeah, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I was um, I just happened to watch it and it was just beautiful it was a beautiful movie i i do watch a lot of of um police procedure you know blue bloods and fbi <laughs> and yeah. you know I, I love mysteries but the i really love the um the story the richness you know uh, of of the, that tom hanks that story told of of mr rogers great um, since I, I know that I was wrapping up before we got started, um, I was wrapping up eating lunch. So that made me think about this question. What is your, like your, your favorite meal? Like, you know, let's say some people, they, they have a bad day and they're like, look, I need that guilty pleasure. I need some shrimp and grits. I need something. I need a fish sandwich. What is that meal for you that you're like, this is going to make me feel better. Oh man, there's so many. <laughs> that's an honest answer and so many let's see so first uh bus boys and boys of course and those sweet potato pancakes that breakfast you got that oh my god it's <laughs> it's so serious uh the sweet potato pancakes with the the scrambled eggs and and what have you the next thing is is uh 
uh, crab cakes from Phillips or uh, I am a uh, I'm, I'm from Kansas City, Missouri again. And uh, Gates Barbecue would have some of the best food and it still has some of the best food, but I can't go to Gates. So in, in each region seems to have its own kind of taste, its own kind of food. Yeah. And this region is is crab cakes and seafood. So uh, the crab cakes and, and, and I'm open to learning more about other places that have crab cakes because I love and I make my own as well. I do too. I love some crab cakes. Yes, I've learned to do that. So sweet potato pancakes, crab cakes. Oh, and the fried chicken too at Busboy is important. And it's not, it's not, it's not on a bone. They they debone it. It's the breasts. And then the, the greens, and then they have this this um mushroom gravy on the potatoes. Mm. It's pretty good. I'm, I'm, I always joke with people because I'm a, I'm a boneless chicken guy. And oh, if I'm okay. eating fried chicken, I was like, look, I'm a civilized person. I don't right. need a bone. I don't need any, <laughs> right. just give me the straight, just give me the meat, you know? Um, right, right. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty <clears throat> decent. It's decent. It's, I, you know, that, that's, that's one of, that's my go-to meal now. Okay. Plus, plus. Mm, that's, is there any place else? Mm, that's it. I think really. This is the last question I have out of like for the whole uh, thing. Oh, I will be so sorry. This is getting ready to wrap up. I've enjoyed these questions. <laughs> well, thank you. I've enjoyed our talk. This is this has been great. This has been fun. Um, what like and I, I guess this is inside dope. Um, what are three things, three tools that you use to do your like to do your day to day? It can be. Is there an app on your phone? Is it I got to use like I got to use a MacBook when I'm doing my thing, when I'm doing my research? Is it I need to take pictures for for inspiration? What are three tools that help you do your day to day? First tool, I think that it is the idea and the concept of just getting up Mm. and um, in in um, face. And I, I think uh, along this this lifetime that I have had, you know, there's been so many challenges. And um, um, so for me, the first tool really every day is getting up and then having a grateful attitude, sure. being able to say, okay, well, I messed up, but that taught me how to be more, a person of integrity. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to focus on the, uh, the, the crime that I may have committed, yeah. but I will focus on, oh, well, that gave me a sense of greater integrity. I will never do that again. Mm-hmm. Not, not that it was necessarily a crime, but um, th- just different um it's just getting up, having the positive and thankful attitude. That's really one. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing in terms of a tool. Uh, the second tool that I feel that I I use is is um, when all these are not necessarily what I would call thing, things that are are touchable. Mm-hmm. What the other tool is is the communication between myself and my family. Sure. You know, I feel that that's a tool of, of also encouraging me to get up, do better and to do best because of the importance of leaving a legacy, the importance of being able to support, being able to repeat that which my family did for me. So that's a tool that, you know, I want to continue to give. You know, I want to continue to be able to push and to be able to uplift. So get up. 
connect with family and, and uplift. And the third tool is beauty in my life. <laughs> Always incorporate beauty in my life. It is my family will tell you, uh, although I don't live, you know, my children are gone. Or I live alone now, but all the noise I used to make and still make when I see wonderful art, you know, cause artists send in their work to me and the, these joyous reactions or these incredible reactions I have when I see some incredible work. So it is the joy. Um, it is, is the, the 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 importance of the beauty yeah. and working with the beauty uh, that is uh, an important tool. And yes, I find that uh, I do I do droop. I become much droopier. I become a little different when I'm not really working in the arts. That makes sense. That's uh, I mean, it's from from the get. It seems like it's a just like having a passion and a zest for what you're doing and making sure that you're solid to go into what you're doing in the, in, in, in the course of the day. And I agree when I'm feeling empty and I'm feeling down, it's like, I can't, I can't, like I can have the conversation, I can mail it in, but it's like, I'm not going to have that same zeal and that same zest for learning about what this person is doing and learning and having an engaged conversation. I feel like I'm doing a disservice to them and a disservice. Right. So setting it up, that you're right. You get up with the right energy and you go through the day with the right energy that just prepares you to be successful. Right. Exactly. So we're, we're kind of done with the questions there, but I want to invite you to um, share anything, plug anything that you want, the uh, Reginald F. Lewis website, any personal website and social media, whatever you want to share. It's a shameless plug time, I guess. Okay. We'll shameless plug time. Yes. Please come to the Reginald F. Lewis Museum. Uh, the Reg the uh, Men of Change exhibition that will start. And uh, we have a number of wonderful programming. Uh, you have to check the website to see the dates and times. Um, really wonderful. I'm really not quite able to confirm specific ones. I know Clint Smith is going to be talking about history and um, I'm looking at a number of art artist talks, but yes, that, and, and, and again, I want to encourage because I have this, you know, and I've had this connection to bus boys. Yes. You know, there's wonderful art and wonderful opportunity art on the walls of bus boys and poets. And it's such a uh, communal space. It is. It was my uh, family for nine years. So that's the lewismuseum.org. Lewismuseum.org. That's correct. So there you have it, folks. I want to thank you again, Carol Rhodes Dyson. Thank you for being on this podcast. It's been great. Oh, it's absolutely. It's been great for me, Rob Lee. <laughs> so <laughs> for Carol Rhodes Dyson, I am Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Mm -hmm.